Hey, Katie. Hey, Ben. So I want to be uh, transparent. I want to be open with you. I don't have a pun for today. Mm. What if but, we talked about... So we usually talk about data science here and machine learning yeah. and stuff. What if... Stay with me here. What if okay. we talked about openness and transparency in data science? Oh, that sounds good. Yeah. Uh, you are listening to Linear Digressions. Gosh, we're funny. <laughs> okay. No, that, that wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this is a little bit of a meta topic, if you like. But Ben, I don't know if you've noticed this, but it's something I've kind of heard myself saying over uh, a few episodes, some of them recently, some of them further in the past, is that blah, 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 we'll talk about this interesting thing. And then it's like, hey, if you want to see the source code that generated this, or if you want to see a Jupyter notebook that created this, or if you want to see a blog post that walks you through the code and maybe the mm-hmm. data that would allow you to recreate this, uh, then blah, 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 here's the go link. To Dicker, yeah, go to our website and click through onto the whatever. Yep. Right. And in general, I think I almost always say this in the moment, I really like that as a way of communicating scientific thoughts. And I thought it was worth taking uh, some time to step back and talk about that a little bit more broadly. Um, And a few cases of like things that we might not necessarily do full episodes on because sometimes there just isn't time or whatever, but are particularly interesting examples of this sort of thing. Nice. Uh, Yeah, I I know that when I was getting into uh, software development, at that point, having had no experience with open source or any of that stuff, um, I, I found it all kind of weird. And we, we've actually we've had an episode on um, on open source and data science uh, in the past, and you can go back and listen to that one if you want to too. Uh, but just this this whole openness and transparency concept feels a little bit foreign if you're if you're coming from uh, say a world of commercials and. Uh, uh, corporate proprietariness and all of that. Yeah, and this is kind of interesting because I come from a little bit of a different world by background. I did academic physics for for a long time, and so I'm trained in like sciences, basically the the pure sciences. And there, there's very much the paradigm that. Um, well, we can talk about physics in particular in a second and how much it does and doesn't actually fulfill the ideal. But the ideal is that. Uh, scientific results should be replicable. And so if it's, you know, if it's being driven by a true, you know, underlying, let's say law of nature or whatever, then you should be able to repeat the experiment and and see the same thing because the law is there and that's what you're observing. Yeah, absolutely. And and so if you're not open and transparent about the way that you, about your experimentation and uh, your methodologies and all that stuff, uh, then how can some person in Zurich replic- uh, replicate your experiments? Or how could someone, you know, somewhere else in the world replicate it? If you can't replicate the experiment, then you're not really necessarily uh, doing a good job of testing whether it's a law of nature that's causing your result or something that's more localized. Yeah, and so the stuff that we're talking about is usually not laws of nature. Uh, mm-hmm. It's usually in the sense that in physics, for example... Uh, so I worked on one of these big particle collider experiments for a while. And as it happened, there were two experiments uh, on the uh, at CERN, at the collider where I worked. And so that was kind of nice because what we would measure at the one collider, or at the one detector, excuse me, 
you would expect to see at the other one because the same laws of physics are governing both of those two detectors. They each have completely independent. There's, um, you know, every scientist works on one or the other, but not both. They have completely oh, independent architectures, the, you know, data sources, like the, the data comes out of them separately. Um, you know, they're completely, right. they're completely independent of each other. And usually that's not what we're talking about in data science, or that's usually not what I'm thinking about. You're usually starting from the same data set. People don't necessarily expect you to go out and collect a second data set to validate the findings, but uh, the code, the, you know, what we're talking about here in openness and transparency is that the data would be openly available, and then the code that gives the result is openly available and like well-documented and easy to follow, easy to run. Um, that sort of thing. Right. And so the, I, I guess part of the idea is someone can look at your code and find, uh, oh, there's a problem with the way that you did it that maybe you didn't realize. And so you're not actually measuring what you what you thought you were measuring. Right. Or if assuming that there's not a problem that they can, well, there's a number of things that they might want to do. They might want to read that because they're learning how to do the science. So it's a cookbook of sorts. Oh, interesting. Um, and it's like a training method. If there happen to be bugs there, having extra people who are looking at the code means that it's more likely that you're going to find them than if there's just one person who's ever written or run the code. Mm-hmm. Um, it also means that hypothetically, you can do things like tweak the analysis or update it if more data becomes available later or that sort of thing. And if you want to extend the analysis, if you want to do something different, you have kind of like the raw foundation of being able to do that. Like, oh, this person started out this scientific analysis. They went from zero to 30 miles an hour. And now I want to go from 30 to 60, like that you don't have to Hmm. reinvent zero to 30. So there's a lot of like good reasons why you might want to do something like this besides just validating that they got the right result. So I guess a question that I have is, I mean, surely there are incentives that go the other way that say, uh, okay, the the thing that we're doing, like we got some results or we have a model and we have some sort of an incentive, monetary or anti-competition incentive to keep this proprietary, that they don't necessarily want their competitor picking up the model that they created and then using it for a similar purpose. Sure. And don't get me wrong. I would bet that most data science and machine learning is proprietary and and private, Mm. right? So, and we wouldn't, in general, we don't know about that when it happens because like, for example, all the internal models that you build at Facebook, like, of of course, I don't necessarily know about. Uh, I'll tell you. The vast majority of them, I'm sure. There are no internal models that I built at Facebook because (laughs) uh, they they wouldn't get past code review. Uh, I don't know what I'm doing. But, uh, but yeah, that's, that's a good point. Um, I guess so, so maybe to extrapolate from what you're saying, you've got incentives pulling you one way, you've got incentives pulling you the other way. And in some cases, these things end up being proprietary. And in some cases, these things end up being open. And when they end up being open, generally speaking, you want all of it to be open. So you get all of the benefits. Yeah. And I think that there's also a trend that it's, in my experience, easier to find open source software, like really good, high quality, interesting open source software than open source data sets. So for example, mm. Facebook has open sourced what, Theano. Is that the Facebook neural net library? I think. I cannot remember. 
Torch? I don't remember. Anyway, Facebook, I know, has open-sourced lots of code around, for example, how to build neural nets. But Facebook right. doesn't open-source very much of its data. Maybe right. I'm sure they've open-sourced something, but yeah, and I bet Google it's not the, the really same. interesting stuff. <laughs> Google did the same thing, right, with TensorFlow and then Michael, or my Michael, Microsoft had one too, right? Probably. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're right. definitely this all is like common. open sourcing. They, you open source the software, you don't generally make the data public. And so right. that's actually kind of an interesting, that's kind of a nice situation if you're one of those companies, because you get sort of the the prestige, you get people buying into the stuff that you're buying, you're fostering this community. Like there's a lot of good positive externalities to the community itself, of course, also. Um, but the data is the stuff that is really actually underlying the competitive advantage that you usually have in most of these cases. Mm. Um, this is sort of my opinion. I'm editorializing here a little bit, but I I suspect that, I don't know, I, it would be hard to convince me otherwise. Um, so that's yeah. a, that's an important thing that's like worth noting is uh, someone making the data available is generally, to me, much more interesting than just making the code available. Although, of course, um, just making the code available is is certainly valuable in and of itself. So there are a couple of particular cases that I have as top of mind when we're talking about this, although, of course, they're not the only ones, um, and that I think illustrate some really interesting aspects of this. So the first is that uh, this might be old news, but I just recently found that 538, uh, so 538, to back up here for a moment, that's Nate Silver's website. He's kind of maybe the most famous statistician. He, he started his public career, so to speak. Uh, in some of this electoral camp campaign modeling and, and election prediction type stuff. Uh, hence the name 538, because that's how many electoral votes there are, but has now oh. generalized to basically data-driven journalism writ large. And so they have this website called 538.com where they have a lot of journalism that's based around data and analysis and that kind of thing. And so they have a site that we will link to on lineardigressions.com, but where they have all of the underlying data sets and code that's behind all of their articles that are data-driven, so to speak. There's a lot of stuff on there. Uh, this is definitely something where it's like too much to go into all of it, but I, to give you a flavor, uh, what are some of the things that they have on there? Um, they have all the code and data for an article called The Ultimate Halloween Candy Power Ranking. You're into can the Halloween candy. Ultimate Halloween candy power power ranking. Power ranking. I think Is that's something like about what's the best Halloween calories? candy. I don't think so, but I didn't actually read the article. <laughs> I just that, thought that was funny. They had an article about Halloween candy. I, regardless, I think I'm going to go to this to this link um, as soon as we're done recording this episode. Uh, you totally. I I mean, a couple other ones here. Um, uh, airplane themed so did you know 41 percent of flyers say it's rude to recline your airplane seat that was apparently an article you can reproduce the analysis that gets you to 41 percent there uh and then relatedly dear mona who i think is one of their columnists dear mona how many flight attendants are men i don't know the answer but if i wanted to look up the answer i would read that article how americans order their steak i'm sure there's some mm -hmm. data analysis that you i mean i have wonder what that underlying are, data set was. I don't know. Wow. But <laughs> interesting stuff, though, right? And it's all available there, which is pretty cool. I am fascinated. Um, okay, just quick question, not relating to 
this episode, but please, do you think it's rude when someone reclines their airline seat? If it's a daytime flight, I kind of do. If it's a if it's like an overnight flight, then I I get it. But and, yeah. and what time? Yeah, okay, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. People have made products to uh, to prevent the person in front of you from leaning back. I but feel I like think that's just starting a fight. No, I, like I'm a little I too passive aggressive for that. I just like get real like I make my knees really hard so that they can't recline <laughs> it. <laughs> well, that's I mean that's exactly what it does. It hooks onto the it hooks onto the um, the tray table and like it, it acts like a well anyway. It, <laughs> we're getting a, a bit off base, but. Uh, <laughs> Um, and then one more thing that I wanted to talk about. This was a listener suggestion on Twitter mm-hmm. at, I want to say maybe Beekeep, um, but it's like B33K33P That's uh, like suggested this to me. Elite speak Beekeep. I think so. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know Which who is you are, obviously. Some wonderful, Sorry if we wonderful assonance. Yeah. But the thing that they uh, suggested was, um, again, will be a link per usual uh blog.patricktriest.com and this is someone's personal blog about doing it going through a data set and doing an analysis and the particular question that this person was interested in answering uh, the title is exploring u.s policing data using python uh, and then generally the question that this person sets out to answer is is there evidence of racial bias in police stops so they get a bunch of state-by-state police stop data and then clean the data and reformat it and go through Mm -hmm. and do analysis to try to test various hypotheses of if there's evidence of bias in police stops. And the thing that I really liked about this is it's a really politically loaded topic. And you can imagine based on kind of your prior beliefs about things that you might have really strong opinions coming to it. Like, yes, there is evidence of racial bias or like, no, because there's other factors that could be explaining like seeming disparities. Mm-hmm. And that political discussion always seems like kind of a swirl to me. Like there's a lot of space for people to just talk past each other. And the right. thing that I like about the idea of getting very concrete with, you start with a data set that, well, you can have arguments about whether some of the data sets, data sets are flawed, but um, you know, is let's say a common starting point. And then everyone can see every manipulation that you make of the data. And so it kind of cuts off the political swirl a lot because in those discussions, sometimes you're like, oh, well, maybe you did this and maybe you did that. And here's the assumptions that that has and all these kinds of things. And and that just like doesn't happen as easily when you're all looking at the same code in in a sense. Yeah, yeah, right. Right. And that's that's assuming that everyone is coming to it. with the intention of finding the truth. Yes, yes. Which I but that's, hope that yeah. people would. <laughs> yeah. <But> anyway, <laughs> that's, that's a lot easier to do when everyone is being sort of above board and say, here's my data, here's my methods. Like, absolutely. Criticize my methods if you want, but you have to point to a line of code when you do it. I think that's, I think that's right. actually a really fair way of having that discussion. Mm. That's really cool. Yep. So that's sort of all I wanted to talk about. Uh, I think... In general, I really like that there's more and more attention to this and that there seems to be a, a standard that's slowly being raised, if if I could editorialize a bit here, um, where there's kind of the expectation that if you're making 
big claims, especially in things like journalism. And it's something like a publicly available data set that uh, more and more there's sort of the expectation or the norm that you're making the code and the data available. And I think that's, I think that's really, really great. Linear Digressions is a creative commons endeavor, which means you can share or use it any way you like. Just tell them we said hi. To find out more about this or any other episode of Linear Digressions, go to LinearDigressions.com. And if you like this podcast, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes so other people get to listen to this content too. You can always get in touch with either of us. Our emails are ben at LinearDigressions.com and katie at LinearDigressions.com in case you have comments or suggestions for future shows. You can tweet us at Lynn Digressions. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time.